0: The
1: sisters left their McKinley Park home to travel the short distance to the movie theater at around 7.30 p.m. And since they were planning on staying for the double feature, they promised their mother, Loretta, that they'd return home by midnight. A classmate of Patricia's named Dorothy Weiner was actually attending the first showing of the film with her younger sister that same night. She later reports noticing Barbara and Patricia sitting in front of her for the film and then again at around 9.30 as she was leaving. She noticed the two standing in line to purchase snacks for the second showing. All seemed well. I'm going to make an assumption here and say that Patricia and Barbara were very responsible and trustworthy because they're young girls and they were being allowed to go out on their own to see a late movie. Their parents must have trusted them enough to agree to let them go out without having to worry about them breaking their curfew. So when 12am came around and the girls still hadn't showed up at home, Loretta knew something was amiss. She had two of her other children go to the bus stop to wait and see if they'd showed up there. However, there were no signs of Barbara or Patricia and at 2am, Loretta called the police. The initial investigation into the disappearance of the Grimes sisters was interesting to say the least. Uh, In the beginning, authorities were sure the girls would turn up somewhere as they were theorized to be runaways. They were thought to have just run off with boyfriends or something, so their case wasn't being looked at as a top priority. It wasn't until one week had passed did this start to become a missing persons case, and by December 31st, the disappearance of Barbara and Patricia Grimes was front page news. Once word got out about the disappearance, the police were flooded with tips from all over the nation about alleged sightings. Two weeks after their disappearance, a classmate of Patricia's started receiving strange phone calls in the middle of the night. The first time she answered the phone, there was no answer on the other line. The second time they called, a voice that sounded exactly like Patricia's said, Is that you, Sandra? Is Sandra there? And then they hung up. The disappearance of Barbara and Patricia Grimes became one of the largest missing persons cases in Cook County history. 15,000 flyers were distributed locally and hundreds of volunteers offered their assistance in searching the surrounding suburbs. The church that the girls and their family frequented offered up a $1,000 award for any information regarding the girls' whereabouts or their disappearance. 300,000 people would be questioned, and 2,000 suspects would be interrogated. Police had gone through several leads, but no new information had come out of it. Ultimately, police decided that Barbara and Patricia must have just run off on their own volition to attend an Elvis concert. Elvis himself even spoke out to the girls, practically begging them to go home, but they never showed up, and the case was beginning to turn cold. On January 22, 1957, Leonard Prescott was driving down German Church Road when he noticed what he called these flush-colored things beyond the barrier near Devil's Creek.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems.
1: He was unsure as to what he saw, but decided to continue on his way home, where he picked up his wife, Marie, and then headed back to the site. They got out of the car to approach what they initially thought were mannequins, until they realized that it wasn't what they thought. What they had stumbled on upon were the discarded, naked bodies of Barbara and Patricia Grimes. Trigger warning, I am going to be discussing the autopsy of Barbara and Patricia, so if this isn't something that you'd like to listen to, I would go ahead and fast forward about two minutes. Autopsies were done the following day in order to give the girls' bodies enough time to thaw out, and what they would find nobody could have ever imagined. Each body underwent a five-hour autopsy. When their stomachs' contents were examined, pathologists were able to conclude that the sisters most likely died within about 5 hours from the last time they were seen at the theater, so that would make their time of death somewhere between the late evening of December 28th and the early morning of the 29th. No conclusion was actually ever made to their actual time of death. Toxicology reports were able to conclude that neither Barbara or Patricia consumed any alcohol, drugs, or poison prior to their death. Barbara was discovered to have engaged in sexual intercourse, however, no marks or wounds were found on her body to suggest that it was forced. Semen was also found in Patricia's vaginal fluid. No fatal wounds were found, however, both of the girls' faces were inflicted with wounds that were thought to have come from rodents after death. The official cause of death for both Barbara and Patricia is murder by secondary shock as a result to being exposed to the elements, which caused their body temperature to go below the critical level compatible with life. Walter McCarran was one of the coroners to perform the autopsies on Barbara and Patricia, and he had determined that the girls' bodies had been laying there near Devil's Creek for weeks before they were discovered on January 22nd. Apparently, it had gotten extremely cold and there was tons of snowfall during the weeks leading up to the discovery of the bodies, and that was the reason that they were not found sooner. However, Chief Investigator Henry Gloss believed that Barbara and Patricia had been alive until at least January 7th, and that they were dumped just after the snowfall, since only after then would the snow be able to melt around their bodies due to them still being warm enough to create the ice that was found to have formed around them. He also believed that the wounds on the sisters' faces were consistent with that of some kind of brutal assault, leading him to conclude that they were indeed molested. Like I said, there were many alleged sightings of Barbara and Patricia, and these sightings went along with Gloss's timeline. A security guard named Jack Franklin reported giving the girls directions on the morning of December twenty ninth. That afternoon at around 2.30pm, a friend of the girl's named Judy Burrow reported seeing both of the sisters walking westward. And in the early evening, another classmate of Patricia's stated that she saw her walking past a restaurant in the company of two other girls, none of which were Barbara. On the early morning of December 30th at around 5.40am, the restaurant owners of D&L Restaurant on West Madison, which was only about 5.5 miles from Brighton Theatre, seized Barbara and Patricia who seemed drunk as she was unable to walk on her own. They were in the company of one of their dishwashers, Edward Benny Bedwell. Bedwell was a young drifter from Tennessee, and it was said that he bore quite the resemblance to Elvis Presley. He quickly became a suspect and actually later confessed to the murder of the Garham sisters. However, he'd later recant his confession after stating that it was coerced by police after they did an intense three-day interrogation on him. And even after the owners of the restaurant said they had misidentified the girls he was with that morning, Bedwell would be charged with Barbara and Patricia's murder. However, no evidence against him would be found, and on February 6th, he'd be freed on a $20,000 bond. Another prime suspect would be 17-year-old Max Fleeg, and even though in the state of Illinois it is illegal for a minor to be subject to a polygraph test, Chicago Police Department Captain Ralph Petticule convinced Fleeg to submit to an unofficial polygraph test, in which he would admit to murdering Barbara and Patricia Grimes. With no legal means to back them up, though, they were forced to release him. No physical evidence was ever found to corroborate his confession either. Flake, however, would later be found guilty of the murder of another young woman. On January 15th, 53-year-old Walter Kranz, who was a self-proclaimed psychic, made a phone call to Chicago's Central Police Complaint Room to inform the operator that he believed the Grimes sisters to be deceased and that their bodies could be found in Lyons Township. He refused to give his identity to the operator and simply stated that the information came to him in a dream before hanging up. However, the call was able to be traced. The location Kranz described on the phone was only a mile off from the actual location of where the girls' bodies would be found just a week later, In his handwriting was a possible match for a ransom note received by Loretta Grimes prior to the discovery of the bodies. Kranz denied having any involvement in the murders and was later released. In 2013, retired Chicago police officer Raymond Johnson began his own investigation into the case. He suspected Charles Leroy Melquist of being responsible for the kidnapping and murder of Barbara and Patricia Grimes. Melquist would have been 23 at the time of the girl's disappearance. In September of 1958, Melquist murdered 15-year-old Bonnie Lay Scott. He disposed of her body after decapitating her. She was missing for two months before her body would be found, within 10 miles of where Barbara and Patricia's body would be discovered. Police noticed similarities in the murders, but police were never able to question Milquist about the Grant's case. Their case remains open today. Well guys, that's all I got for you today. I really appreciate you for sticking it out with me till the end. This will conclude the episode.